Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, hi, and welcome. I am your host, Emma Gunnar-Wardner, and in my nearly 20-year career as a beauty and health writer, I have interviewed a lot of people, supermodels, entrepreneurs, authors, celebrities, and doctors, and many of these conversations had a real impact on me, and I'd come away feeling inspired, excited, informed, and really empowered, and at the back of my mind, I'd always think, I wish I could just publish the tape so people could really feel that conversation. Well, on this podcast, you get to feel the conversation. I talk with experts, guests, and a few friends who I hope will inspire, inform, and empower you, and maybe also challenge you, whether you're looking for self-help, self-improvement, beauty advice, health insights, business know-how, or just some good old-fashioned life advice and a bit of a laugh. It's all here. Welcome to the show. My guest in this episode of the podcast is the author and lawyer, Anjali Kumar, who I invited on the show to talk about what she discovered when she went looking for God. And this is not your conventional spiritual pilgrimage because it started when she considered what she would have to tell her daughter when her daughter asked her the inevitable questions about things like God, religion and faith. Anjali realized that in order to answer these questions, she needed to better understand her own beliefs, which meant pretty much kind of questioning and analyzing everything that she understood up to that point. And so in this conversation, Anjali describes being spiritually curious whilst being open to absolutely everything. And she didn't explore the big box religions, as it were, but instead went on this journey of meeting witches in New York City to understand their beliefs, a shaman in Peru and a healer in Brazil. And it was perhaps this trip to Brazil that led Anjali to her most interesting discovery and what she learned about people's needs and wants in life and how actually we are all bound by pretty much the same needs and wants. We also discuss what it's like when you don't know what to believe, how to be open-minded in the face of so many different views, and how spiritual practices are viewed today and how they are far less woo-woo than they were considered even as recently as 10 years ago. She also explains how she was able to be open to all views while still being a lawyer who's trained to think critically. And the three things that every single person wants, pretty much, across the board, how she feels about self-appointed gurus and why manifesting is all very modern, but has been around for millennia when you really think about it. I found this conversation really, really fascinating. I think Anjali is not only 
a brilliant guest, but the way in which she approached this journey and then shares it is just absolutely wonderful. And I hope you feel the same way too. All of the links to Anjali, her book, uh, her TED Talk will be in the show notes, but I'm so thrilled to have been able to have this conversation with Anjali on the show. So please do, do join me in welcoming her onto The Emma Gunn Show. Welcome to The Emma Gunn Show, Anjali Kumar. How are you? I'm really well, thank you. How are you? I'm fantastic and so excited to speak to you because it's always such a thrill to speak to someone who has experienced and lived something so far removed from any of my own experiences and to find out what you learned. And boy, did you go on quite the journey of discovery. Yeah, that's probably putting it um, in the the nicest terms, (laughs) but yeah, I did indeed. So it's kind of been boiled down into the uh, the nutshell of you went on a search for God, but it was, I mean, is it as simple as that? You know, I don't think it is because it wasn't really for God per se, um, for like a being or a specific entity. I was really looking for answers. And, and the, the start of the journey was the birth of my daughter, who is now 11, if I, which I can't even believe. But when she was born, um, I realized that I had no idea what I believed about the big questions in life. I didn't know what I believed about what happens when you die. Is there a God? How do you find happiness? All these sort of existential questions that came up as I was holding this very tiny baby in my arms. And, um, and it was really a conversation with my father that sparked the whole thing because um, soon after she was born, he was talking to me on the phone and he's like, Oh, you know, you have to take her to the temple, you know, where, where Jan is our religion, um, which is sort of like a Hinduism light, you know, <laughs> like her sort of related. <laughs> That's all. I'll probably get a lot of hate for that. It's not that sort of terrible description, but it's sort of, you know, in the Eastern religions. Um, and he had said, I should take her to this temple and to our temple. And I was like, oh, why did I miss something? I thought I'd missed like a cultural event or something that I was supposed to do. And I really like the traditions of our religion and of our culture. He was like, no, no, you should just show her what we believe. And that's what sort of started it all. Cause I was like, oh, what do I believe? Like, I don't know what I believe. I don't know if I believe in Jainism. I don't know if I believe in Hinduism. Um, I was raised going to Catholic school. I don't know that I believe in any of that stuff either. And so that's what started it all. Um, And I, ironically, I worked at Google at the time. So I was used to, and I was a lawyer. I'm still a lawyer, but I was a lawyer at the time at Google. And I was used to people coming to me with questions and being able to answer them. And when I couldn't answer them, I would just Google it, frankly, (laughs) or I would ask somebody and I would get an answer. And then here was a set of questions that I anticipated coming my way from my daughter um, that I really had no idea where to even start to answer them. So that's what set me off from trying. I guess the crucial so was a very long way to get to that answer. So hopefully you can edit some of that out. Because no, 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 it's perfect. I haven't it's talked about my book in a while. So it's going to take me a minute to get back into it. No, it's perfect. And I think the thing that I, um, that really sticks out for me from what you just said is about uh, what do I believe? And it's a question that perhaps we don't ask ourselves a lot, but when we do, it can, as you say, lead to a bit of an existential crisis, or it's not something you, once you pick it up, you can't put it down until you've really answered those questions. Yeah, I think that's right, because it's like, what is more fundamental to us than these types of questions, when it really all comes down to it, it really boils down to 
our core beliefs around um, what really matters in the world and where we go when we die, if anywhere, and, you know, why we're here. And so, I, you know, I think I just hadn't really given myself the luxury of thinking about those questions my entire life, but then um, maybe I needed someone outside of myself that I loved very, very much to spark that journey. But ultimately, the whole thing became about me anyway. You know, it really was about answering it for myself more so than for her. And so I guess, uh, as you said, you worked at Google. So you would Google something and you would see all the results and make your decision based on whatever it was that you found. But this was a, a, a different pursuit. And I think what is so impressive about what you did is you cast the net far and oh, so wide. Yes, I did indeed. I think, you know, I, because I had pretty broad exposure to religion um, over my lifetime, as I mentioned, I'm Jan, we were raised very culturally Hindu. Um, I went to Catholic school, even though there's no Catholicism in my family. So I, I mean, I grew up with a lot of Jewish kids, like I was exposed to all of it. Um, I even did a lot of religious studies courses in college. And so I was always curious about it. But to me, they were mostly stories and it was really cultural and it was um, just the interesting ways of getting at these answers I didn't think were really answerable or questions that weren't really answerable. Um, So when I set out on the journey, I realized if I didn't do more offbeat things or things that were kind of out of the big box religions, that I wouldn't come up with answers that were anything that more than what I already knew. And I knew that none of those um, religions were really holding the answer for me from what I knew of them. So that wasn't the appeal. It didn't feel like I was shopping for God, right? Like I wasn't doing that. I wasn't like, oh, it's not Allah, it's Jesus. Like that wasn't the, the, the math of the journey for me personally. Um, so it was really about what, it, you know, what does it really mean at the end of the day? And what are the commonalities of all these different things? And that was what was more interesting to me. And I think as well, being a lawyer, um, things are quite definitive. Things are either right or they are wrong. And I read recently someone said, and I'm sure it's been said many, many times, but if there was an apocalypse and the world ended and everything disappeared and civilization started again, um, religion would would happen again, but it would look very, very different. It wouldn't look the same as perhaps what we have now, but that wouldn't be the, tr- the same for science. You know, that if water would still boil at whatever 100 degrees and all of that kind of stuff but the versions of religion that would uh, come up would be very very different so I guess in your pursuit of uh, finding what you were looking for whether well actually do you know what it was about how you kept such an open mind that was a thing that really struck me because you grow up and I know you said Jan Hinduism Catholic school so you have some prejudices you have some things that you believe to be true you just have beliefs and yet you're going out and what it seemed to me is that you went with such an open mind and that really that really surprised me I wondered how you were able to do that not dismiss something before you even entered into it you know I think that's um kind of a core tenant of how I live my life generally. And I think, ironically, it actually goes back to the way I was raised and the religion with which I was raised. Um, so in Jainism, one of the core tenets is a principle called non-absolutism. And basically, that means that no, uh, no one can hold the ownership or holds 
the like the truth, ownership of the absolute truth, even when it comes to religious belief. And so because that was so much of how we were raised, and I think that is why my parents exposed me so comfortably to Hinduism and put me in Catholic school and were never bothered by our exposure. They wanted us to see all these different things and they were really comfortable with us navigating all these different spaces. And so I think that became how I lived my life. And especially as a first generation immigrant, I grew up in the States. Um, that's just how I was used to navigating the world was, you know, making myself comfortable in uncomfortable situations and, and navigating these spaces. So I think that kind of teed me up really nicely to do this journey and to really go in with a pretty open mind. And so I, um, and I, I continue to do that. Like I'll throw myself into all kinds of experiences, um, maybe once, maybe twice, just because it's fun for me. And I really enjoy doing all these kind of kooky things um, as long as they're like somewhat physically safe. But I have jumped out of a plane before. My parents would argue that was not the smartest decision I've ever made, but um, it was really fun. And, you know, but I've been a clown in the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade twice. And that, you know, is possible. I took an edible before I did that. I'm not going to lie, but I was because I was really nervous, but you know, I've done like all these weird things. Um, I take ceramics classes. I'm terrible at ceramics for the record. Like I'm really bad at all of these things, but I love just going into other people's spaces and just seeing what's there and observing and, um, and learning from other people. And so I think that's something I've carried through all of my life. And then, you know, for these many years when I was doing this journey, which ultimately turned into a book, um, it was, it was very consistent with how I've lived my life. Yeah. So for, for me personally, I, my father was born in Sri Lanka and my mother is English and their decision was not to uh, enforce a religion upon my brother and I. And so uh, my brother and me, my dad will kill me now that I've just said that, my brother and me. And so um, we didn't. And actually, I am nowhere near as open-minded as you are. And one would have thought that without having any parameters, perhaps I would be more open-minded. And it, when I was uh, following your story, I thought, actually, the fact that you were observing some, you had some cultural um, cues, if you like, from a religion, they actually helped you open up even more to other schools of thought, whether they were religions or beliefs or what have you. Yeah, maybe because it gives you something to push back on, to react against, right? So if everything's out there, I mean, it's almost like with kids, if you don't give them some rules, they don't know where the guardrails are and they don't know what to, to push against to say, mm -hmm. well, that's actually an unreasonable rule. If you're just like, do whatever you want, sleep whenever you want, eat whatever you want, then they're like, what, where do I start? But if you're like, no, you have to have these things and here's some parameters for how you're going to do your day then they can push back on something, right? They have something to kind of rebel against. Mm. So maybe that's part of what it was, is that because I was raised with, you know, again, a core tenant being non-absolutism, so they were open-minded, but they're like, well, this is what we believe. Mm. You know, you don't have to believe it. So they weren't dogmatic about it, but we did pray every night. My father, to this day, will go up and do the, and like do his puja in the evenings. And sometimes if I'm in the mood, I'll go upstairs and sit with him, mostly just to spend time with him. Um, and sometimes I'm like, nah, I'm watching TV. Like I'm good. You know, like, I feel like <laughs> if it's all real, they'll forgive me. Like, it's like, it's, it's fine. Like there, so, um, I'm pretty, you know, it gave me something to rebel against, or it gave me something to, um, to hold as one version of the truth, but then to think about like, well, what else could it be? Because it's, some of these things don't make a ton of sense to me. So what else could be the answer about all these questions? 
when you started and said, right, I'm going to do this, I'm going to create the directory for this. What do you remember the actual beginning of your journey? Yes. So the first thing I did was to go see John of God, the now disgraced John of God. (laughs) So with with a big disclaimer, I didn't know about all the crazy stuff he's been accused of doing. um, And I believe quite credibly accused of doing, but at the time um, I hadn't heard of him and my sister had heard of him and she lives in Chicago and she's, you know, into alternative healing and stuff. And she was going with a friend because her friend had suffered a loss in her life and um, they, you know, was looking for healing, like looking for an answer. So I think again, death, like the, the times people look to religion and spirituality, I think are at those sort of big watershed moments, birth, death, marriage, you know, like those sorts of things. And so um, for her, she was experiencing a death in the family. And so I think just needed something to ground her. My sister was going along as a friend and it was just a throwaway comment that I was like, Oh, I want to go to Brazil. And she's like, well, you should go. And I was like, I don't even know why I said it because it's not something that made any sense but it felt like, well, I'm supposed to go and do this. And so I went and it was really not for me. I mean, I talk about it in my Ted talk and in the book, it, you know, it wasn't a super satisfactory experience. I didn't really know what I was there for. And it was more interesting than anything, Mm -hmm. but I had the idea for the book down there because, um, or for the journey, not so much for the book, but really for a journey, because I was talking to the woman who was leading our group down there. And, (laughs) and she was describing the soup that you're given. It was like a spiritual soup when you go to John of God. So you go, you sit, you know, you go through the whole process, you go in front of him, you sit there and meditate, do all this stuff. And then when you leave the meditation, you're given soup and it's like a blessed soup with like, it's basically like a spiritual minestrone, like, like literally it's like a vegetarian soup. And so of course I started asking questions. So as you can tell, I'm an inquisitive person. And I was like, well, what's in the soup? And I wasn't trying to be combative. I was just, I was really curious, like, well, what do they put in the soup? And she's like, well, it's blessed and it's this and it's healing and it'll do all these wonderful things. So I was like, well, like what's in it? Cause I was thinking maybe there's special herbs and I can make the soup at home. Like there must be something in it. And I kept asking her and she finally got so frustrated with me. She's like, you know, you just have to drink the soup, just eat the soup. You have to eat the soup. And I was like, okay. And I was like, well, that's so interesting that like I did and it was lovely, you know, but I, I didn't understand it. And I was like, well, why are all these people just sort of going along with this and eating this soup and putting this into the body without asking at least one question about what's in the soup. And so that kind of led on to of like, well, what are all these other things that are sort of vaguely spiritual in nature that people just do because they're told to do it and they sort of just go along with it because they believe it or they want something to believe in. Mm. And that was what started it. It was like, well, I feel this need of like answering these questions for my daughter. And so maybe somebody else has the answer because some of these people were really into John of God and on other parts of the journey too. People were really into soul cycle. People were really into um, silent meditation or whatever the different things were that I had done. And I was like, well, maybe they know something I don't. And so maybe they'll have an answer for me. And so I'll just go and eat their soup and find out and see if any of it resonates. And, um, and that's what the journey became. And which is potluck and all sorts of, so you kind of said no, to, you said no to big box religions. Yes. Was that, oh, that's my Siri going off. Was that because, um, uh, was it just, that's too big a, a, a tangle to try and untangle? Was it, was it actually more interesting to, to kind of go for things that were under the radar a little more. 
Yeah, I mean, I did what was genuinely appealing to me and the big box religions weren't really appealing again, because I had exposure to it as a kid. Um, I had, you know, encountered two of the biggest world's religions, both Hinduism and Catholicism in a pretty significant way. So I feel like I had a, a sense of those. Um, and so I didn't feel like I was shopping for religion. I was really trying to understand like what the tenants were. It was almost like a spiritual buffet. I was like, well, maybe I can take a little bit from each of these things. And I didn't get the impression I could jumble together a bunch of religions to make my own, but maybe I could take some of these different elements of spiritual practice and make them my own or come back with some sort of roadmap for my daughter that would make sense to her and sort of be like, well, some of this over here and like add a little bit of this and like all these things together are kind of what I believe. Um, so that was the intent. And I think also, yeah, there's probably a little bit of me, you know, the little lawyer in me and like not wanting to offend the world's religions. And so I didn't want to go after like Scientology or Islam or Hinduism and like have anyone be mad at me. And so I was like, well, let me try these other things that maybe people will be okay with me exploring in a really genuine way. Cause I was coming in with a really open heart. I wasn't an investigative journalist. I'm not a theologian. Um, it was a really genuine journey and it sort of turned into a book later, but the, the journey was quite genuine. Mm. Do you feel the version of you, or do you feel that you were changed for doing it in a, in a really significant way? Oh, for sure. I mean, the whole process was really eye-opening, heart-opening, um, you know, I laughed a lot. I laughed at myself, not at other people, sometimes other people. There were definitely some, some characters I met along the way, but um, I didn't write about people to make fun of them. Like I, the humor in the book, I hope at least comes from my own experience as opposed to anybody else. Um, but the, yeah, I think I, you can't do something like that and not be changed. Like just, you know, going out and exploring the world in a meaningful way, um, it, it has to affect you. Hmm. It has, so hopefully I left something good behind too, but I think like all those people and experiences definitely left their imprint on me. Oh, that's lovely too. I um, I wanted to uh, go back to something you mentioned about when people are going through a particularly difficult time, they might be quite vulnerable and that those are the moments at which they might uh, seek religion or spiritual guidance. And I mentioned earlier, I was not raised with a religion in any kind of form but when I went to university I remember I was a waitress and there used to be a guy who used to come and sit at the bar in the restaurant I worked in and he was desperate to get you so that he could get you to his caravan so he could read your runes and I remember the manager oh. one day saying don't you ever don't. go to that caravan <laughs> my caravan yeah don't go on that caravan that sounds shady yeah and so I began to associate people who kind of promise some sort of spiritual experience as being somewhat shady and so uh, with the John of God thing, obviously, I think um, that um, unfortunately, perhaps there's an element of, well, it's that thing, isn't it? As if you're, if you're giving people hope or promising people hope at a time when you're vulnerable, you are able to take advantage of them. Yeah. Did you experience that on the journey? And, and is that an unfortunate characteristic, but not the main trend that you found? Look, I think there's, there's shady people in every industry and this is an industry right? So we've seen it in Hollywood. We've seen it in tech. We've seen it in media. We've seen it in all, all sorts of different industries where there's people who will take advantage of people who are 
in a more vulnerable position, whatever that looks like, whether it's a boss and an employee, whether it's a president and an intern, or whether it's a spiritual leader and a follower. Um, so I think, unfortunately, it's a lot of just people behaving badly. I do think a seeker is in a pretty uniquely vulnerable position if you're putting yourself out there in that way. Um, I'm glad that I went at the age and sort of uh, mindset that I was in when I went on this journey, because I wasn't in a state of sort of despair or desperation. And that's not with any judgment to anybody who is, but I think I went in um, from a place of real strength, right? Like I, Mm -hmm. I have, you know, I've been married for 20 some years to the same person who I love very much. You know, I had this daughter who is brand new and healthy and beautiful and is a lovely um, little person and that you could see the buds of that back then. Um, my parents are both, you know, knock on wood still alive. Like I have a sister that I have a great relationship with and like, oh, so everything was like good. Mm-hmm. So there was really no reason. There was nothing lacking per se. It was more just me being greedy for more in a way like that I was kind of like, well, all this is happening. Like now what, like, what else can I do? And how do I tune it up a little bit more? How do I um, make sure I know this stuff when my daughter comes to me and asks me these questions, like, how am I going to answer them? Let me go find out. Like it was, it was definitely like a privileged place that I was coming from going into the, the seeking, you know, in, into this journey. I think if I had been in a different headspace, yeah, some of those experiences, unfortunately could have probably ended really badly. Like one in particular, right? Like the opening chapter of the book could have been the end of the book. Like that might've not, there might've been no book. Um, and so my heart goes out to anyone who experienced that along the way. And I hope nobody ever finds themselves in that kind of position with anybody I wrote about, certainly. Um, but yeah, I think it sucks because people, you know, there's a lot of bad humans out there. And I think what it shows you is these people are human, right? And they're doing, they're taking advantage of people and, and that sucks. But not all of them. I mean, there's like also wonderful people out there who I think really believe what they're selling you and they're they just want you to be part of that journey but don't go in the van with the guy with the runes like definitely don't (laughs) I think that was good advice I feel like your manager saved you a very questionable situation so I'm relieved for you saved all of us but then I've I've definitely had periods in my life when I have been struggling and then I find myself going for alternative treatments and believing that crystals can help me and I'm not saying that i if anyone wants to believe in crystals, more power to you. But for me, I, the idea of delegating to an inert object is not going to help me like sort out my finances and, you know, right. get my career on track. Um, and that's the, that's sometimes the search, but you obviously went into it from a place of curiosity, not needing anything necessarily from your discoveries, not needing it to uh, complete you to answer any questions that were causing you any kind of distress. But the John of God situation, for me, when I read about it, is one of the most interesting things I've read recently, because I think in the last two years, we have become so acutely aware of the things that divide the world. Everyone's at loggerheads on social media. There's so much um, just clash. There's a lot of clash. And yet in your journey to go and see John of God, you learn something so brilliant about lots and lots of people about the things that bind us. 
Yeah. Yeah. So that was the, the key takeaway for me. And that is ultimately the conclusion of the book of my TED talk of all of it. Um, so yes, John of God, while I personally did not experience the good or the bad of that particular experience that so many people have, have credibly accounted, um, what was interesting about that is, you know, so for people who don't know, John of God is, well, was, I guess he still is. I don't really know what his situation is now, but um, he was considered a full trans medium, which basically meant that he claimed he could talk to dead people. But in his case, they were a very specific set of dead people that were like saints and healers and doctors and all sorts of stuff. So he claimed that he could, through these folks that he was channeling, um, heal whatever ailed you, whether it was emotional, spiritual, physical. And so people would come to him with incredible desperation, you can imagine, um, an incredible need. And, and he would perform these great acts of healings, or so he claimed. Um, all that said, the other thing he said he could do was that he could distance heal. So you didn't even have to be in front of him. He didn't have to lay hands on you or eyes on you. I think... <laughs> So those people were lucky because he laid hands on other people, allegedly, but he, I don't mean to make light of this. It's terrible. So I apologize. I laugh when I'm uncomfortable and I make mm-hmm. jokes regard because it's just like, it's such a horrible situation, yeah. but all that to say, you could bring wishes of other people. So you would, you know, you, as somebody going in front of John of God, you would go down and say, here are the things that I am working on or hoping for almost like wishing with a genie in a bottle, but I could also um, have the privilege of bringing down wishes for other people that I, that I loved and cared for and saying, okay, dress in all white, take a photo of you and tell me what your intentions are, what your wishes are. And I'll bring them down there and present these photos to John of God. And he's going to heal you from Brazil, wherever you live. And so I told a bunch of people about this and then I, you might get a sense I'm a little bit chatty and I get chattier when I'm like, you know, excited or nervous about something. And I love sharing information. I'll tell, you know, what my workout plan is. I'll tell you what I use in my hair. Like I'll tell you everything. So I was like, Hey, I'm going down and seeing this healer in Brazil. And you know, if you want, I can take your wishes down there with me. And I was telling all kinds of people, everyone from people I worked with at Google to my husband, to my family, to my family friends, um, to other friends and to like strangers and acquaintances that I sort of met at cocktail parties. And I would just tell them the story. And then what ended up happening is that my inbox just overflowed. I got so many emails from people asking me to take their wishes down. And it was sort of overwhelming. So I was like, crap, I have to pick all these, you know, print all these pictures. A lot of them came in at the last minute. I had a stack of photographs that I went down with and all these emails that I printed out. And I felt like, you know, I mean, you're, you said you're Sri Lankan descent. I don't know if you ever went to Sri Lanka when you were younger growing up, but it was like when you would bring those massive suitcases and everybody had gifts to send back and you're bringing everybody else's gifts back to India. That's what it felt like. I was like, oh God, I had committed too much. My luggage is going to be too big. I have all these pictures and papers and all these promises I've made to bring down there. So I'm lugging all this crap down there. Leave you can't leave out. a promise behind. You can't. Yeah, you can't because it's a big responsibility. People sent me this. I have to print it. Like the lawyer and me, very diligent. <laughs> I'm printing all this stuff out. I spent all the time at, you know, the, the bodega printing all this stuff. And I, I brought all these pictures down. Um, and so I kind of forgot about it. And then as I went back to write the book, um, I was looking through all those emails and reading them and reflecting on them. And I was really struck by what I found. And so there are all these commonalities in the email. And what you're referring to is that it really boiled down to everybody had the same three things that they wanted. And they asked for them weirdly in the same exact order. And it was almost to a T. It was almost every single email that I received was this. And it came down to people asking for 
in the in this order health happiness and love and it was really just fascinating so i was like wow these are people okay fine it was mostly new yorkers not all but like a lot a, a disproportionate amount of new yorkers but new yorkers are a pretty varied bunch right like we're a pretty international group um all shapes and sizes all demographics socioeconomic classes like it's a really mixed group so even though my data set might be skewed it was reasonably reasonably diverse within that skewed data set um and for everybody to be asking for the same thing was pretty fascinating to me because i was like well it sort of doesn't matter what I did on this entire journey. It doesn't matter that everybody's saying that they have the answer and that they're selling you something that you need and that it's different from what this other guy is selling you or from what this other girl is selling you because it ultimately all comes down to the same thing. And all of us are so similar. We're so much more similar than we are different. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. When your skin feels nourished and glows, you radiate confidence. Osea makes giving your skin a glow up easy with their clean, clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This seaweed-powered duo features two of Osea's best sellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com, code GLOW. And isn't that what really matters? And if we just hold that in our hearts, like maybe we can get somewhere better. And so I feel like, you know, I did my TED talk, I, my book came out sort of in the middle of the Trump presidency, which I still can't believe happened. It feels like a fever dream, but here we are. Um, it was in the middle of all of that. And, um, and it was such a divisive time, as you, as you said, and I feel like it really, you know, highlighted the division globally. It sort of mainstreamed a lot of things that were otherwise not okay to say that we'd all sort of agreed as a society were not okay to express. And he, um, he and his ilk made it okay to talk about these things and really horrible, let's say horrible things to each other. Um, and to me, it was really grounding to be like, oh, right. We are more similar than we are different. We all want the same things. We all carry the same hopes and fears. And maybe we just need to focus on that for a little while. You know, again, again, it's really quite interesting because I've been having a conversation with a psychologist friend recently about this idea of are, are people born evil or are they made evil? You know, are people born bad or are they made bad? And uh, they believe that some people are just to their core terrible. But based on your uh, research and data that you have from those emails, it would suggest that it doesn't matter whether you're born good or evil if you're good or bad in very broad terms even if you might be a bad person you still want those three things which I obviously I'm putting two sets of data together and I'm coming up with my own flawed research but it just it's made me actually 
go when I go out in the world I just look at whenever I have an interaction with someone I think I know three things about you I know that you want health I know that you want happiness and I know that you want love and I also know that you don't want me to know that mm, that's interesting right because that was at the end of uh, pretty much yeah. every email as well wasn't yeah. it yeah every email was like please don't tell anyone they all ended the same way every single person and I was like wow how sad that nobody wants anyone to know this and we were all so the same at the core. And I think it was because maybe they're just being super vulnerable with me in that moment. But I was like, but if you knew this about the person next to you, how would that change how you treat them? So like what you just said, right? You meet somebody that maybe on the outside or presents themselves is truly rotten to the core. But if you know those things about them, don't you see them a little bit differently? You know, it doesn't change the way you think about how they're acting or reacting or not behaving. Um, because maybe that's what they're lacking in their lives. Mm. And I think as well, it sort of ties in with that other thing of another core need that we need is to be heard and that to understand that we've been to feel as though we've been understood. And I was really trying to wonder how that ties into the journey that you went on as well, because obviously if you have a set of beliefs, they often define you and you want people to understand that about you. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's true. I think that's why people were so willing to talk to me and to invite me in too, because I did, I was pretty clear about what I was doing. And, you know, again, the lawyer and me, like I kept copious notes and I made sure I had anyone whose name I might've used in the book. If I didn't have their permission, I changed it. Like I was really careful because I didn't want people to feel exposed. And I was really surprised how few people asked me to change their names. Very, very few. Yeah. Like it was like a couple of people that said, yes, please change my name because maybe somebody doesn't know that they practiced witchcraft or whatever, you know, they didn't want to be outed at work, that kind of thing. Um, or somebody was like raising for their startup and they didn't want people, their investors to know they were a burning man that year. That kind of thing. Like, so it was that kind of stuff, you know, it was more like practical. Um, but I think because people really believe in what they believe, they were, they were super open with me and really excited to bring me along. And I got more and more, I still, to this day, my book came out a couple of years ago and I still to this day get emails pretty regularly of people wanting to sell me what they believe in you know, or telling me about what I should do next and that kind of thing. It's been super interesting. It's interesting. Any video of yours that had uh, on YouTube, um, if you go and look at the comments, it's fascinating reading. Really? I can't read the comments. I learned that lesson the hard way that you oh, yeah. don't read the comments, <laughs> no. especially on something like this whew, you do not want to read the comments so you stay away I haven't read anything yeah, tell about me you. I just mean that people go in and it's like the elevator pitch for what they believe or I think oh, the really? last yeah the last video I watched um it was something like you know Jesus came to me I knew that Jesus existed when he made himself known to me and and things like that and I don't want to belittle anyone's journey just because I, I am not of the same mindset and maybe I don't believe the same thing but I wondered do you think that this kind of journey, asking these questions and maybe doing a little bit of interrogating is the kind of thing everyone should do? And I ask this because in the last few years, even this podcast is six years old nearly. And when I first started and was talking about things like meditation, I was in the woo-woo category. And now yeah. I am very much not for having had those conversations. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but even still those kind of asking those questions, going on a spiritual journey would have been, it does feel as though it's shifting. And is this actually a useful thing that people should do? Just what do I believe? What do I stand for? What do I align with? 
Yeah, I think it's super important. I mean, if you think about it, like startups and companies have like mission statements and value statements. And like, those weren't things that used to be promulgated so much before, but now employees want to know, what do you believe in before I come into work for you? What do you believe in? Mm -hmm. And so if we don't know what the leaders of those companies believe in, then how do we really know anything? And if somebody really has strong spiritual or religious beliefs that drive their work, I kind of want to know that because it might affect how they lead their company. If they, you know, if they believe or don't believe, not because I'm judging somebody's religion or spiritual beliefs, but if they don't believe women have a seat at the table because that's what their religion taught them, that's a problem. You know, I'm a woman. Like that that might be an issue. And it might help me navigate that space more. Maybe I don't turn down the job. I probably would. But if they, you know, but like that's um that would be important to know. And I think if our political leaders have strong religious or spiritual beliefs, I feel like I should know that because that's, you know, affecting everything right now all over the world, right? Like the way people are leading and the, the excuses that they're using to keep people out of the conversation or to take certain decisions or to restrict women's rights to reproductive health and, you know, a million other things. And it's, they're, they're claiming it's around politics, but it's really around their religious beliefs. Like that's a problem, you know? So I would, I would want to know that. So I think, we should be talking about these things. Um, I know it's it's considered impolite dinner conversation, but I feel like everything else has become <laughs> dinner conversation. Like we used to not talk about politics at the dinner table either, but now we talk about that. Like, so I feel like if this is the last taboo subject, it's interesting to me that it continues to be the holdout when it ultimately informs so many people's behavior um, that I think we may as well go there, you know? I've canvassed a lot of friends' opinion about this, and I've said, okay, I'm speaking to Anjali Kumar, and this is the story. And trust me, when you watch the TED Talk listeners, you will not go to another dinner party and not tell the story about John of God and the three things in the email, because I've done it at like the last eight dinner parties I've been to. But, But one thing that came back in all of the conversations I've had with my friends is... What about if you don't know what to believe? And a lot of people actually said, when exposed to all of those different beliefs, to all of those different religions, to people who say they could speak to the dead or people who said they could speak to saints, spirits, gods, what have you, how do you know what to believe? Did you believe any Um, of it? Well, you know, what's interesting is I don't, I still don't know what I believe, but I think the things that resonated with me, the elements that resonated with me, um, tended to confirm things that I already knew to be true in a way that I was ready to hear it. Mm. So ultimately they're all kind of saying the same thing, but it sort of depended on who the messenger was or what the medicine tasted like or what that truth tasted like at that moment or how ready I was because of therapy or where I was in my life or whatever else had happened that day to really hear it. And when it rang true suddenly, I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. So I think part of why the the conclusion of, you know, that everyone's looking for health, happiness, and love, that rang so true to me because like, I didn't notice it the first time I read the emails, right? Like I was kind of scanning the emails when I was printing them off and taking them to John of God. And I'm sure I, I don't remember reading them, but I'm sure I did. I was probably curious, like, what did Karen say she wanted? You know, what did, what did so-and-so, what, they want that? They want a partner, ha You know, like, I'm sure I read something that's like, eh, they're never going to get a partner because I know they're annoying. Like, I'm sure I was reading them and being judgy, right? Um, but when I read it, you know, so many years later, 
as I was going through everything and writing the book, they just hit me in a totally different way because I was reading them with a very different perspective. I was reading them from a very different vantage point. I had the benefit of having gone and done all this other stuff and had a lot more empathy um, for all the people that had sent me their wishes, right? And, and gratitude and sort of um, humility around the, the responsibility that I had when I brought those down in the first place. And so I think reading them with from that perspective allowed for me to notice the commonalities that I hadn't noticed before and allowed me to like take, to like pull that out and be like, oh, this is data as much as, it, again, the skewed sample set, it's not, you know, it's not great data, but it's not insignificant data. Um, and, uh, and so I think I just reacted to it really differently and it really landed for me in a way that, um, that made so much sense and clearly landed for you and for a lot of other people, you know, where that was the conclusion. Cause it's a little bit of a non-conclusion conclusion, right? Like I didn't, when I was first pitching the book, um, there were publishers who were like, well, what are you going to say at the end? What's the conclusion? What did you find? I'm like, I, I'm not sure yet. I was like, so if that's not okay with you, then this isn't the right publisher. And there were publishers who turned me down because one, you know, there was one that was like, it turned out to be a religious publisher, which I didn't know, but they wanted me to conclude like, Jesus is the way, that's the answer. We want to put you in front of, it was like a Christian press. And I was like, wait, why did my agent put me towards this Christian press? Cause I was like, they clearly didn't read the rest of the treatment because it's pretty clear. I don't conclude that Jesus is the way. I'm not saying he's not, but I'm just saying for me, that's not what I found. So it was not like I was going to come back and say, here's the answer. Everybody go to this church. Like that wasn't going to be the the journey. Um, but I didn't know how I was ending the book. And so, you know, so there were definitely people who were uncomfortable with that because they wanted to know the answer and know that they agreed with my answer. So my answer was a bit of a non-answer answer. It was like, <laughs> I still don't know. Everybody calm down. Like I, I'm not the, don't come to me with these questions because I don't know the answer either, but I do know this, this is one thing that I do know. And I'll I think, that's the thing we're so seduced by Hollywood endings like the eat pray love like this is what I realized now I'm going to be happy from here on in and actually there's I think there's something really empowering about the open ending because you've got all of the information and it sounds as though even with so much time having passed since you went maybe on a daily basis it'll affect you or it'll impact you or you'll realize something and it's still it's still growing the journey is still happening in many ways is that how it feels yeah, for sure. I mean, I definitely, you know, I definitely get invited to kooky things, you know, <laughs> from many people. I don't go as often, but you know, I I definitely am curious here and there. And I I've considered going to like a divine feminine retreat because it sounded fun and in a pretty location. I haven't done it yet. I'll report back. But it was um, you know, so I do get invited to some some things and um we'll see. Maybe there's another book or a, a TV show around it. I don't know. It'd be fun to do. <laughs> would you would you say yes in the future to somebody lying on top of you and yodeling into your chakras? <laughs> I don't I don't know that I would, but I don't know that I wouldn't. I mean, it was it was definitely uh, it was definitely one for the for the books. Like it was, I mean, that chapter just wrote itself. I didn't I had no idea what I was getting into. This is what happened. Yeah, um, I wondered. I'm I'm curious. Uh, whether on your journeys or even since whether you have any uh, feelings about positive thinking and manifesting because moving the story forward I feel as though I feel that's a way in which a lot of people express their spirituality 
um, these days, kind of the modern diffusion line of religion is put it out into the universe, manifest it, make it happen. Is that something that was that a common theme that you came across? Yeah, I don't know if it was a theme per se, but I do think a lot of people use that kind of lingo. I, I agree with you, especially in sort of Western spirituality, like that seems to be the shorthand. Um, and I believe in the past it was called praying, but you know, now they're calling it like I'm manifesting, you know, so I feel like it's sort of the same thing. Um, so it's interesting that people are like, you know, no, I'm doing it myself. It's like, we want some agency. And I think it's, it's the same thing. It's like, we're, we're trying to take control and have answers for things that are not controllable, that are not within our control and that there are no answers for. Right. And so until science can tell us different, we're going to keep wanting to believe in something else sort of, you know, puppeteering all of us. And, um, you know, I think if we, if it gives you a little hope, I think that's okay. Yeah. But I do think I might be a really good manifester. Like I'm not, I don't mean to be, but like things happen that I'm like, Whoa, (laughs) did, did I just make that happen? So you know, it's kind of a fun experiment, but there are people who really believe they can do it. You're going to have to explain why you're a good manifesto. I can't leave that one on. on you know, I think I just like things will happen where I, I mean, it's sort of become a joke where and my husband just thinks I'm crazy because my husband's a doctor and he's very not confounded by any of these questions. Like he really believes in science vaccines work. Like, why is everyone put, like, you know, not like wanting to do this? He doesn't understand it. Don't pray it away like Jesus sent you the vaccine. Like if you're waiting for God to, to save you, I think it's called the vaccine. Like that's what, no, that's what he's, they sent you like, just maybe take it. Sorry. I don't mean to preach to your, to your audience, but I feel like that might be the result we're looking for. Um, so my husband is, is not confounded by any of this, but there'll be times where I'll be thinking about something you know, it's like the simple example of like, I'm thinking about somebody, then they happen to text me or call me. So that kind of stuff happens all the time. But I think that happens for everybody. Um, but I will, like something will happen where, you know, I met somebody at Sundance and we were talking about this woman that I hadn't spoken to in years. And literally as I got back to my inbox, she had emailed me about something completely different. And it wasn't because the woman that I was speaking to about her had said anything. It was just, and it was completely unrelated. And I was like, whoa. (laughs) And I was like, that's crazy. And not that that's manifesting, but I was like, oh my God, I'm like so in sync with the universe. And my husband turned to me, he's like, that's literally the definition of a coincidence. Like that's all that. (laughs) But I really was like, no, I think, I think I'm a really powerful manifester. Well, it's funny, very, very funny you say that because my aunt messaged me today and was talking about meditating and she said, oh, I was meditating and you came across my field of vision. And I started meditating a few years ago and I was using it to help with anxiety and to, yeah. and to help with um, feeling depressed. And I've tried to get back into meditating. So it helped me then. And I've tried to get back into it and to follow the guided meditations doesn't feel like the right thing. And so I was messaging her just this afternoon saying, I really want to learn how to meditate, but what you're saying, because I don't, because I think there's meditating to calm the nervous system. And again, we can speak to your husband and he can explain exactly what it does. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I am really um, intrigued by this idea of, of meditating in order to connect. And I think what you might be is connected. Oh, me personally is connected. Oh, I don't know. That's responsibility, but maybe, <laughs> I mean, I think what it is. So again, it's just getting really quiet and hearing that inner voice, which is this yourself. And then you might think it's coming from 
on high, but it's probably just you like clearing out the clutter, not you, you know, you one, yeah, yeah. um, clearing the clutter of the day and getting quiet because you do know what's right and you mm-hmm. do know what's wrong and you do. And if you can just get really sort of silent about things just for a minute, even or for a few minutes a day, you can hear that. And that, you know, and some people attribute that voice to a higher power or the universe or whatever, or maybe it's just you. I mean, who knows? But maybe it's all of it. I yeah. don't I don't know. Maybe those are the same thing. But the idea of um, manifesting is just, I don't know. It, I've, I do find this idea of there being some sort of, I've had so many guests on this podcast who've talked about we're all one mind and if we, you know, if we're, all, we're all connected and if we can just tap into that. So when you say that you'll think about somebody and then an email will pop up, it makes me think, is there something in that? Yeah, is well, there I some sort like- of... I feel like if we, you know, this pandemic that we're all living through, it's definitely not over, um, really shows us how connected we are, right? Like, I mean, it was inconceivable two years ago that something like this could happen, you know, as we're sitting here. So 2019, I mean, it's just like, I can't even, I I would have been the worst movie to try to write to be like, oh, this is what's going to happen. And the entire world's going to shut down and everyone's going to be quiet for months because you can't leave the house because one person got sick somewhere and then that spread to the entire globe. How is that even possible? It's because we're all connected. Mm -hmm. And now we're physically connected, but we are also, we were all connected. So if we needed tangible proof as a society, as a world, of how interdependent we are and how connected we are, we just got it. And we're still acting like we're not dependent on each other. And we're still acting like we're not connected. And so I, I don't understand it because it's like we're, we're being shown evidence of it in a really devastating way. And not enough of us are choosing to like really internalize that and act differently moving forward, sort of yeah. on the other side of this, you know? Yeah, it's the most significant global connecting um, event and yet yeah. at a time when we are well I mean again I'm talking about social media here but where there is just so much division which just yeah seems so at odds it's such a bizarre so conflict strange. yeah it's super super strange because we're like we're literally connected we're physically connected we are energetically connected we're connected by the internet we're connected by all these different things and we are acting like we are not like we're really focusing on the things that divide us rather than those other things that should keep us all connected and looking out for each other. I'm sure you've had, and maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm sure people have been inspired by your journey and maybe have thought about doing something similar themselves. Um, but if someone's listening to this and they're not going to go to Brazil or they're not going to go and see somebody who can be a proxy to saints or what have you, is there anything rather than answers, if somebody says, I like the idea of exploring this for my own self, is there any starting point or anything that you would ever advise people to do? Yeah. Well, I, my first two pieces of advice are don't go to Brazil, <laughs> not to that place, at least not to John of God, because he seems like he's shady. Mm-hmm. Don't get in the van with the guy with the rooms, <laughs> like trust your intuition and all, you know, don't sit on the Swami's lap, like all of those things, like trust your intuition about those things. Um, I would go back to meditation. Is that super cliche? But I really do feel like that's the one thing I've taken out of this journey that I continue to do. I meditate every single day. Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, it's become like mental hygiene. It's like mental flossing to me is how I describe it. It's like, 
you don't have to floss every day. It's not like you're going to get gingivitis tomorrow or your teeth are going to fall out. But like, if you cumulatively don't, yeah, you might. I mean, if, but if you don't, if you cumulatively don't do it, um, you will have repercussions. So I feel like that's the same thing with meditation. It's like the cumulative effect of it is, is worth doing. And if you miss a day, it's not that big of a deal, but if you do it most days, um, it just, it helps so much. And I do think not only is it great for all the health reasons, like the physical reasons of which there's tons of data on and tons of research on and by respected institutions, you know, it's not my data set of collecting. It's like actual data from places like Stanford and Johns Hopkins and Harvard. Um, but there's also, you know, see so there's all the physical benefits, but there there's a time to get really quiet with yourself and, and hear what comes up for you. So I, that's where I would start if you can. And there's so many different ways to meditate. You don't have to do a guided meditation. You don't have to do a sitting and like clearing your mind or whatever. There's a million different techniques. Find one that works for you. Even if it's just counting your breath, even if it's just doing a walk, I've tried to get my daughter to meditate for years and she refuses. She says that her meditation is knitting. And I was like, all right, I mean, that's more active than I would like, but I get it. Like for her, it's meditative, right? She can just, she likes to just knit and then she just kind of sits there and zones out. And so if that's what works for her, that's great. That's meditative. So whatever that looks like for you, um, I think would be a great start. That's where I would start. I'm going to leave it there because otherwise I feel like I'm selling you. No, no, um, I've actually got a podcast on meditation coming up because I've just read a really interesting book and it's basically why meditate. It's not how to, it's why, yeah. and it's everything that you've just described. It's like, yeah. um, and in it, I think they say, people say running. And I used to say this, running's my meditation. Like it cannot be because of what is happening in your body. Like meditation oh, is about um, the uh, the way that it affects your, uh, uh, your nervous system, everything. Mm. And, um, but would you, I mean, yes. You just said guided meditation, whatever works for you. But is it about that getting quiet and getting to know yourself, which is something that I think we disconnect from? Yeah, I think that's right. I think so much of this is when we get out of sync with ourselves is when we search, right? We search for answers from the outside. We search for things to fulfill ourselves. We buy stuff, we eat stuff, we drink stuff to kind of numb it or to get us back into ourselves. And I think ultimately you kind of just have to sit with yourself and get quiet and, and, you know, and get to know yourself. I mean, I tell my daughter all the time, like whenever she complains about being bored, I'm like, that's great. You know, it's because like she needs to learn how to sit with herself and just be bored and that that's okay. That's something she, that we, I, I, <laughs> I've said this for a long time. If we didn't have boredom, we wouldn't have had Steven Spielberg. We wouldn't have had Jaws. We wouldn't have had George Lucas create Star Wars because they were bored and they had to think of something to entertain themselves. Exactly right. Exactly right. We wouldn't have a lot of tech companies, a lot of other creative solutions to big problems in the world and a lot of other things. We wouldn't have any of it. I know we're coming to the end of our time together, but I did just want to ask you one thing because the health, the happiness and the love, the three things that came out of the emails, um, no wealth, no money, no fame. Was that a surprise? Uh, well, there were a couple of outliers who definitely asked for like cash, right? Like there are some people <laughs> who do that or like wanted to, you know, have some notoriety, but I think they ultimately, if you pick apart why they're asking for those things, it's really for one of those core three things too, mm. right? So there might've been like an immediate need for cash or an immediate need for like a project to get picked up, but 
you know, often it was because they thought that would make them happy or because um, they needed to pay bills and get healthy or whatever. Like it kind of would ultimately tie back to all those things too. Um, if you don't have shelter, you don't have health. If you don't have, you know, so it's, it all, I think kind of nexus is back to the same three things. But isn't that interesting though, that those things that maybe we place so much value on in society today, they're the facade that hide yeah. those three core yeah. Well, I mean, again, like going back to the, the, you know, Captain Obvious of the, of my statements today of, you know, the pandemic, it's like, what did we have if we didn't have our health? We had literally nothing. Mm. It didn't matter. And it was, you know, across the board, it didn't matter how much money you had. It didn't matter how famous you were. It was afflicting everybody. And so, you know, nobody was immune or safe from it for, in those early days. And so, um, you know, if you didn't have your health, it didn't really matter how much piles of money you were sitting on. You're going to get better. I'm so yeah. grateful for you for being on the show. Thank you so much. We ended um, on a such a depressing note. I'm so sorry. Oh, no. <laughs> okay. In which case, like, you have nothing if you don't have your health. You're all going to be sick. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. It's because I've got one eye on the clock. Tell me, let's end on a high note. Tell me the funniest <laughs> anecdote from your um, search for God. The funniest anecdote you saw? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Oh gosh, that is a hard question. <laughs> there were so many funny anecdotes. What was a good one? Oh no, you put me on the spot. I have to think of one. What was your favorite anecdote from the from the book or the talk? I don't know if you had a chance to read the book. Well, from the talk, it was the moment where you pointed at your husband and had to steady yourself. I thought that was a very beautiful oh, moment. I really enjoyed you. that. But I, I I really enjoyed the fact that you you uh told a very complex story with such as listeners will have heard on this show with such lightness with such so much humor as well and the I really like anyone who walks into a situation because I find it very hard myself just being willing to be proven wrong not needing to go in with any airs or graces and you just went into this as a beginner and just like do you know what I'm going to forget everything that I knew I'm not going to come in with any prejudices or preconceived ideas and I'm going to be a participant observer in this and I I think that is what makes you the way you tell the story so brilliant as well because you're not yeah well Um, yeah I appreciate that that was that was definitely the hope you know because it's a really delicate subject matter and I could have um, ended up offending a lot of people um, you know, and so the tone of, to getting the tone right was really important to me and to be respectful of people's beliefs as we've you know, tried to do in this conversation as well, um, has, you know, was really difficult and a delicate balance to, to walk. So I'm glad that that came across and like for it to still be lighthearted, because I do think it's like, there's a lot of serious shit going on in the world. And this doesn't need to be one of those serious things. Like we can take our work seriously, but not take ourselves too seriously. That feels like a good rule of thumb. Yeah. What a brilliant. Okay. So that's a much nicer note on which to end. And I think so. Instead of my doom and gloom. (laughs) And if you want to um, choose your favorite anecdote, then the link to the book will be in the show notes, which can be found wherever it is is that you are streaming and downloading this episode. Um, Your TED talk is one of my favorite TED talks I've ever watched. Um, I'm so glad that you had the time to come on the podcast and thank you for being such a warm, open and generous guest. Thank you so much. Well, you've been an amazing, amazing interviewer. I really appreciate you bringing me back to the book because I haven't talked about it in a while and it was fun to go down memory lane and all those fun things that we did. So thank you so much for having me on. You're so welcome. 
Thank you so much for listening to that episode of The Emma Gunn Show. I do hope you enjoyed it. I appreciate your time hugely. If you did enjoy it and you never want to miss an episode, then please do hit the subscribe button wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode. It's also where you get the opportunity to leave a five-star review and a rating for how you feel about the show. And I'd be so grateful if you wouldn't mind leaving one. If you want to get in touch with me, email me at thebeautypodcast at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. Or you can DM me on Instagram and Twitter where I am at Emma Guns. If you fancy chatting to me and thousands of other fellow listeners of the podcast, then click the link to join the Facebook forum. The link to join is in the show notes, which can be found wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode. You have to answer a couple of questions, but we cannot wait to see you there. Come over and join the conversation. Thank you so much for listening. I will see you on the next one. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their advanced eye care duo brightens and firms skin around your eyes, while the Golden Glow Body Trio nourishes and smooths skin all over. Go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off your first order site-wide.